Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Straight ahead this morning, she supported Barack Obama. She got a boost from Oprah years ago, and she's become a best-selling author seven different times. Now she wants to be president. Marianne Williamson joins us on what her newly announced campaign for president will be all about. Plus, it's February 3rd, exactly one year from the Iowa caucuses, we think. Two insiders will join us on the Democrats' battle to be the one to try to beat Donald Trump next year and whether the tax cuts that he championed will help or hurt his cause. And in the insiders' quick six, whether Election Day should be a federal holiday. Good morning. Kamala Harris, John Delaney, Andrew Yang, and Sherrod Brown all campaigned in our state this past week. The first three are officially running for president. The fourth one is just about there. Marianne Williamson is the fifth Democrat in Iowa this past week. She is best known as a self-help spiritual author who sold three million books. She ran as an independent for Congress in California back in 2014. Now she's running for president as a Democrat and joins us for the first time. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you've had uh, a lot of success <coughs> as an author. You do these weekly almost chats with your followers. You do these online digital courses. How do you take all of that success and become president with it? Well, for 35 years, I've had a career talking about naming and helping to transform um, internal dynamics within people's lives in very practical ways that have practical application. And all that a nation is is a group of individuals. So the same psychological and emotional and spiritual dynamics that prevail within the journey of an individual prevail within the journey of a nation. An individual, in order to really change your life, you have to do more than just address external issues. You have to address internal things, and so does a nation. This nation needs a moral and a spiritual awakening. Nothing short of that will fundamentally disrupt the pattern of our political dysfunction. So I'm bringing the same conversation that I've been having for 35 years into the larger public domain because I believe that's what politics needs. Every corner of our society has been impacted by a more integrative perspective, a more whole person perspective. You see this in business, you see it in science, you see it in medicine. Politics is behind. It's like stuck in this 20th century, it's almost like a relic of 20th century thinking. It waters the leaves. It doesn't water the roots. The roots of democracy are inside us, and that's why I think the presidency in the 21st century has to be someone who has the vision to understand that and know how to deal with it. But if you read any of your dozen books, if you watch your videos, <coughs> if you take part in your Tuesday night chats, with your followers. Not it, chats, oh, yeah, I don't, but you know, I, I don't mean I hear, that immediately, but it's a conversation, right? <laughs> well, it, it, go on, because it's irrelevant. Okay, all right. Um, you talk to your, your yeah, friends I every do. Tuesday night, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, but it, most of, of what you say and what you write, it's very uplifting, right? It's a lot of ways to better your life. It's a lot of things we don't necessarily think of in politics. Politics can be a very nasty thing, right? The Declaration of Independence is very uplifting. 
the principles of the U.S. Constitution are very uplifting. Lincoln's second inaugural is very uplifting. The actual narrative of American history, that abolitionists rose to get rid of slavery, is very uplifting. That suffragette movement got women the right to vote, very uplifting. The civil rights movement, very uplifting. The fact that politics today is this overly corporatized conversation that has none of the juice, the moral and historical juice of our history and our historical narrative is the problem. So when I bring uplift into politics, I'm simply bringing politics back to where it belongs. Uh, you have, you've talked about that you support $15 an hour <coughs> minimum wage, Medicare for all, you've talked about reparations for African Americans because of slavery several generations ago. Your party right now is having this debate about taxes, right? So we see Elizabeth Warren has talked about a wealth tax every year on on the very richest individuals. Uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez has talked about maybe making a 70% um, tax on the most, on the wealthiest individuals. Uh, you're a person who's had a lot of success in your life, mm -hmm. right? So you're one of these one percenters. How do you view this conversation about what, how we should tax I think the both wealthy? of those women are absolutely correct. You can look at the Eisenhower administration when we had a thriving middle class. We had a thriving middle class when the rich paid their fair share. So I'm absolutely with both Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elizabeth Warren on holding capitalism accountable. Do you think Democrats have been too hesitant to talk about raising taxes in the past? I mean, you go all the way back to Ronald Reagan. We've essentially been cutting taxes for however many years that is, 40 years, right? Well, the issue isn't about cutting taxes. It's that we've been cutting taxes for the very wealthiest. That's the issue, is, is not, you know, taxes in general, but who you tax and how you tax. Uh, this past week in Des Moines, CNN <coughs> did a big nationally televised town hall with California Senator, your Senator, Kamala Harris. Do, does the national media put you on that same platform, or, and if not, how do you get to that level? I was on uh, CNN this morning with mm -hmm. John Berman. I have had major media outlets that have been newspapers and uh, other television outlets that have been interviewing me. I'm here with you. I have no complaints. I'm not known in the broader um, American consciousness as a political figure yet. So, of course, my, uh, my uh, journey is a little slower to get started, but I have no complaints right now. So far, so good. Uh, there could be 15, 20 Democrats yeah. campaigning in our state. I was last state. count 1,736. <laughs> I saw that in your opening speech. Uh, so we have one year from today, if the caucuses stay where they are, how, how do you go after this? Do you feel like you have to champion a certain issue? Mm -hmm. Is it a matter of just people getting to know you? That's what, the what? politics I don't want to be part of. I want to speak as deeply and passionately as I can about the issues that I feel we most need to address. We need to address the fact that our economic system is basically immoral. We need to address the fact that millions of American children are living with chronic trauma and despair that is unaddressed in any significant fundamental way. We need to address the layers of systemic racism that are, as you were mentioning before, legacies of slavery. And we need to address the fact that while we prepare for war, we do not proactively wage peace the way we need to. I want to talk about the things that I believe deeply matter. And I, I think that people hear you on the level you speak from. I think that millions and millions and millions of Americans, both on the left and the right, are deeply concerned about the direction that this country is going. And the idea of dumbing down your message, putting it on a bumper sticker so everybody can relate, that's the old politics. That's what got us into this ditch. That's not what will get us out. This is a very serious time. We need deep thinking. 
and I want to have a deep conversation with the American people. It's nothing less than that will help us to endure and to navigate and to transform these times. All right, Marianne Williamson, you're here for uh, several days in our state. You picked the coldest time of year, but at least this weekend it's warmer. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> so much. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Medicare for All has become the major theme for Democrats in this early 2020 campaign. So when we come back, two longtime insiders will join us on whether that is the right message and whether those Trump tax cuts have been worth it. We'll talk about that next. Marian Williamson, I think a lot of people know you for seven best-selling books. You have a dozen books. You're all over the place on social media, on the, all kinds of digital platforms. You want to run for president, and you now are officially running for president. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, though, is some of your life's work these last couple of decades has, talked, has involved dealing with poverty, right? Yes. AIDS and poverty. Indeed. Um, how should a presidential candidate, what can you do when it comes to poverty? Americans need to take a deep look at where we stand morally. It is immoral that in the richest country in the world, 40% of our citizens have a difficult time making health care costs, rent costs, transportation costs. It is, uh, it is immoral that 62% of our citizens can't even be called members of the middle class. These are issues of a, what I think of as a kind of moral rot that underlies a political corruption that then leads to human devastation. So the issues that I talk about in personal transformation, that you have to get straight with your morals, your principles, your values, are you a good person? Are you an ethical person? These questions should be not only the primary questions that we ask as individuals, but the primary question that we ask as citizens who are responsible for the larger, um, larger dynamics of our public sphere. The politicians in our state for the last several years especially have had this argument about the minimum wage, right? Mm -hmm. So it's seven and a quarter right now. <coughs> you have pushed for the idea of $15 an hour, which has been talked about here the last couple of years, especially when we get outside Des Moines into the smaller towns. Some of the businesses there say, we can't do that. That's just too much of a jump. But, but you believe that that would indeed help these folks at the lower bottom, at the bottom here. I, I, this is the deal, though. There are communities in this country, such as those you just mentioned, where it would be a leap that would be difficult. And I think that it is reasonable for the government to take some compensatory action while that all levels out. So I think if we do go up to a $15 uh, an hour minimum wage, which I do support, there are communities where the idea of some governments um, filling in the gap during a certain period of and time. And what do you see that simple. as? What would that mean when you say compensatory? Well, I think that there are, there are communities that could say 15 is too big a leap, like you say. And I think it's reasonable. So you get exempted out? Something along that line. There should be some acknowledgement that there are communities where that would be hardship in the short term. When you sort of step back, you're one of several <coughs> Democrats we've talked to this past week who kind of look at, you know, and you've seen the, the reporting from the Trump tax cuts now that it's they've kind of kicked in and they haven't delivered the bang for the buck here. And Shock. instead they've skyrocketed the deficit and some other things. Um, now that that's happened, though, how do you, isn't it difficult to rescind tax no. cuts? How does that no. happen? Where is the political will in Congress to do that? You need a president and a Congress who is willing, who are willing to repeal the top-end tax cuts, not repeal the middle-class tax cuts. The middle-class tax cuts, not only do I support, but they, which are now temporary, should be permanentized, and the high-end tax cuts, which have been made permanent, should be, well, I don't even think they should be temporary. I think they should be repealed. Uh, you have run once before yeah. uh, for Congress back in 2014. You did that as an independent. 
Why are you running as a Democrat this time, and why, do, why get into politics? Why do you want to be part of this? Well, uh, running as a Democrat is because these are very different times than when I ran for Congress. I would not risk taking 10 votes away from the Democratic candidate in 2020. That's number one. And if you yeah, ran as an independent, you mean? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I would never do that. No. In the, um, in the question about why not politics, politics, you know, Gandhi said, Mahatma Gandhi said, politics should be sacred. When someone asked him, you're such a spiritual man, why would you be involved in politics? His response was, isn't politics a part of Dharma too? That means it should be an important dimension of what it means to live a mature, meaningful existence. The disengagement of too many Americans from the political sphere, partly because they considered it so toxic, is the problem. This is what got us here. That's not the answer. So for me, what not only for myself, but what I believe we need for this entire country, is for the average citizen to remember that in a democracy, it's we, the people, who are meant to be the governing force. We need to reclaim that sphere for the best of ourselves. We have someone who has harnessed the worst aspects of the, of the American psyche for political purposes. We need to harness our love, our dignity, our decency, our goodness for political purposes. Purposes. And I'm glad to be part of that process. I'm honored to do it. All right. Marianne Williamson, one of the newest announced <laughs> Democrats running for president in 2020. Thanks for the time. Thank Appreciate you. it. Safe Thank travels. Thank you so much. So what was the deal with Crawford and Judge last week? That was an odd combination, I thought. Uh, I just wanted to do more 2020 stuff, so I have uh. to mix it up every once in a while. So what are we dropping from our little skit here today? President Trump used Twitter to come after the people who he has in charge of our intelligence community. He ripped them for being naive, as he says, when it comes to Iran. He went on to tweet that his intelligence people perhaps should go back to school. Presidents previously declared ISIS defeated, although his intelligence community has warned that ISIS is still very dangerous and active in the Middle East. What are Iowans supposed to believe with this? Do you believe the president or do you trust the career intelligence officials when it comes to national security and threats? Here's what Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley told us. You should believe the intelligence community. The only way that I can see that the president is, the, is uh, going contrary to what the intelligence community it, it would be, it would to set the stage for his meeting with Kim Jong-un uh, in North Korea when he's going to meet with him next month, uh, that maybe he wants to be seen as a person that uh, feels that uh, the chances of reaching an agreement uh, with uh, North Korea is much better and, and to maintain a relationship of talking as opposed to our intelligence reports being very confrontational. I don't know whether that's the president's motive. Uh, I hope he believes the intelligence community. Uh, I do. Senator Grassley has some other thoughts about whether the president's really a Republican, along with the president's unique leadership style. Up next, a shameless plug on where you can read the senator's thoughts and some more. We'll do that next.
caucus night 2020, 10 Democrats, 15, 20, one Republican, two, three. No doubt, however it shakes out, it'll be intriguing. So here's my shameless plug. That's why I wrote this, Caucus Chaos Trump. It's the title of my new book. It's to understand what we need to understand in 2020. Well, we got to figure out how we got there, right? So I followed Donald Trump's rise in our state, talked to Iowans who believe that he's been exactly what the country needs and what makes him so unique. Caucus Chaos Trump will include interviews with dozens of top state and national leaders on how Trump built that following in our state, how he's changed politics and the media, and what this all means for 2020. We also did a little experiment. I reached out to about 30 potential Democratic presidential candidates and asked them all one simple question about the future to see how they'd answer this. You can pre-order Caucus Chaos Trump by using the website Caucus Chaos. The book will come out in a couple of weeks. Thanks for indulging me in my little self-promotion there. All right, the book aside here, let's get back to the show. Up next, God wanted a President Trump, an election day holiday and predictions. Our insiders are back for the quick six next. One year from the caucus, we think, so let's get some caucus insight. Republican Doug Gross was the 2002 nominee for governor. Welcome back. Good to be it's been a while. Good to see you. Uh, Tom Henderson was the Polk County Democratic chair for like 20, 30, 40 years, something like that. Something 60. Like that. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> Good to have you both. It's been a little bit. Tom, let's talk to you. So we had Marion Williamson uh, to start out the show here. It seems like the default for a lot of these presidential candidates is Medicaid, Medicare for all. Do you agree? Is that the way to go for the party? No, I don't agree. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the only issue that we're going to have in the upcoming election. I think Trump's going to be the biggest issue, quite frankly. And I think that's one of the reasons why this election may not be very close. I think most of the voters are not going to support Trump. The polling is indicating that 56% of the voters are indicating they won't vote for him again. And that's a pretty high number for any incumbent president to overcome. So it is going to be an issue, how we pay for health insurance in the, in the United States of America. But it's only one of many. We have international issues that we have to confront that are very, very serious in our country. And we also have some uh, economic issues that we're going to have to talk about as well. Doug, will you talk about from your side, New York Times had this, the piece out this past week that talked about Governor Hogan of mm -hmm. Maryland. When he's in town, might be a time to get some of the uh, party leaders today to talk about perhaps a Trump uh, primary challenger. Is this thing legit? And do you see this actually happening? I mean, Dave Kochel is, is actually putting together a dinner for Governor Hogan, and Dave's certainly legit. Uh, so let's put it this way. I think Republicans want to make certain that we hold on to the presidency. You got to take a look at some of the numbers that Tom mentioned and that, that others mentioned, look at electability and determine whether or not he's the right horse. So some Republicans are asking that question. Uh, is he the right horse? Uh, for me personally? He's never been the right horse for me personally. I mean, but is he your party's best shot at keeping the White House in twenty? No. Uh, so what's? How do you look at who could beat him in a primary? I mean, that's tough, right? Basically impossible today. Okay, if you're going to be realistic about it, he's got support from eighty to ninety percent of Republicans. So basically impossible today. That's why nobody's coming out. A lot of Republicans who'd like to run quietly, maybe to their wife, talk about running hmm. for presidency, but that's about as far as it goes. So it's interesting that Hogan's willing to even come to Iowa to, to participate in that kind of a discussion. I think the right thing to, for Republicans to do that are interested in this is just talk about what they want to do for the future of the country. And if, if the economy, I think the key for, for Trump and Republicans, if the economy is not strong by this fall, if the economy tanks, a Trump, there will be a primary opponent to Trump. Anyway, he does not run again. Uh, no, he 
Loves it. No matter no matter how personal this all these Democrats House Democrat investigations get into the various factors of his life, including if it starts digging into Trump Jr. They or seem to be like spelling that. his name right. I think he's enjoying every minute of it. All right, Tom, what do you make about, so we had Kamala Harris this past week. She had the big CNN town hall and then stuck around afterwards to kind of meet with some people after that. Uh, how did she do, and is she kind of a top tier for the party, do you view? I, I think she's a top tier because she's a newcomer, fresh face. Uh, I know that she got some pushback with regard to her statements with regard to health care. But there were a lot of other issues she addressed, and I think most of the people who attended it or saw her on TV were impressed with her uh, being able to handle issues and to engage the crowd. But she's just one of many that bear watching. So, uh, Because of some of that pushback, and you know her campaign's a little sensitive about this, but she had talked about Medicare for all is the right way to go. Then once there was some pushback from Howard Schultz, Michael Bloomberg, and some others, then it was, well, we'd support several different things. Medicare for all is the right way to go, the ideal way. Well, I, I think that's a part of the discussion we're going to have as a party, because I don't think everybody agrees with that. And she was immediately linked to the Bernie Sanders wing of the party when she said that. So I think it's going to be one of those things we're going to have to sort out. But the way we pay for health insurance is very important in our country. I think we aspire to make health insurance available to everybody or medical care available for everybody. How you pay for it is going to be an issue. Do we continue to do it through health insurance uh, companies that are for profit and government? Or do we do some type of different combination? But I think that that's one thing the Affordable Care Act did was it tried to make health care available for everybody, but how we pay for it is a different discussion, and we're now starting to have that in this next election. Uh, as we talked earlier in the show, Elizabeth Warren is one of those who says she wants this wealth tax to come after uh, those Howard who... Schultz, I think. Is uh, yeah, Warren. To, to come after, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She wants to come after him, too. But there is this kind of pushback. Warren has kind of spoken out about billionaires. You know, if Bloomberg gets in, he would be one of those. Will the party kind of embrace this tax the rich thing and see it through? Uh, well, it's Right now, we have a, a debt of what, $23 trillion in the United 22. States? 22. 22, I'm sorry. I didn't, I, I probably. You're six months premature. Pretty exaggerated. Real money, right? Yeah. You know, at some point, we have to figure out how we're going to get that debt down. And one of the ways we can do it is through taxation of wealthy people. We've just had a tax cut that came as a result of Trump's efforts, which allowed those people to not pay as much. I'm not for just taxing the rich, but there, there has to be a way that we somehow figure out how we're going to deal with that debt situation long term. And right now, we don't seem to have an answer. And one of the answers may be to look at a different tax schedule. Uh, Doug, your party has been very successful when Democrats talk about raising taxes. Republicans, you'll see in commercials, kind of make it a little more blanket generic about so-and-so wants to raise taxes, just like we saw in the governor's race with Fred Hubble. Mm -hmm. If Democrats do embrace this idea of whether it's just taxing billionaires or taxing their estates or whatever it is, is that a loser for them? Absolutely it's a loser for them because they're talking about raising taxes. And in a tax debate, again, as you mentioned, ask Fred Hubble, Democrats lose. The problem for the Democrats, I see it, is that they have to decide which way they want to go. Do they want to win or do they want to be ideologically pure? Uh, my opinion, Joe Biden's their best chance of winning. If I was Donald Trump, I'd be very nervous about a guy like Joe Biden. But it, I think Joe Biden's ability to, to be the new, new thing for the Democrats is limited because he's the old, old guy. So I think that's what the battle is going to be with the Democrats. Do we want to have something that's ideologically pure, or do we want to be pragmatic and have a good shot of winning? All right, we're going to take a break here. If you all stand pat here just for a second here. Uh, the president, at least on Twitter, doesn't think his intelligence leaders are so smart. Here, why Senator Grassley thinks you should believe those intelligence officials, perhaps not the president. We'll hear from him next.
Time for the Insider's Quick Six. Gentlemen, question one. Uh, House Democrats have talked about making Election Day a federal holiday so federal workers would get the day off and then they would encourage private businesses to do the same. Is that a good idea? No. I think it's a great idea. I don't, I, I don't know why we don't, don't have Election Days on Saturdays. You know, why not? All right. Question two. Brad Zahn is continuing his uh, efforts at the State House to try to end tenure for college professors. Will that go anywhere this year, this mm, session? No. No, and it shouldn't. Uh, question three. So we have this temporary funding to keep the federal government going. Will we get an, a deal or will there be another shutdown in February? There'll be a deal. I think another shutdown. You think so, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, question four. Let's talk about Steve King. Doug, he has made you un very uncomfortable in the past. Will in the he past? <laughs> okay. How about the, the current? Frequently. <laughs> Will he be your party's nominee for the 4th District in 2020? No. You think he'll lose a primary? I don't think he'll run. I'll go with him. I don't. All right, let's throw sports here. Super Bowls tonight. Who's going to win? Patriots or Rams? Patriots. New England. What's your prediction? Um, my prediction was that Steve King probably won't run because I think Steve's a very pragmatic guy. He'd be Senator King or Governor King if he could be, but he looked at the polls and it wasn't there. If he looks at the polls now, he'll find that he can't win a Republican primary in that district any longer. Second prediction is the fact that I don't think Rand Paul's neighbor will uh, ever, ever tackle him again, again. After having to pay him $600,000. 600, exactly. <laughs> I'll go further. I don't think he'll collect the judgment. So. <laughs> oh, that guy's got money. Oh, does he? Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, my prediction is I don't have inside information on this, but I, I think that uh, Joe Biden's going to read the polling and decide to run. You think he will go through with it? I think he'll run. Even with so many people running? Yes. I think he's going to run. All right. Tom Henderson, Doug Gross, good thank you much. Good to be with you. Thanks for being with us. Let's stay connected throughout the week here on Insiders. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll see you next week. We wanted to get a little feel for what we can expect in the year ahead. So Doug Gross and Tom Henderson are with us. Sunday marks one year to the caucuses, right? What do we expect on the Republican side? Uh, as I said, I, if the economy tanks, if Trump's economic policies don't work and the economy tanks by fall, I think you could expect to see a, a challenge in Iowa. It could be Hogan. It could be sass flake has indicated he doesn't want to do it but there could be somebody come out of the woodwork to do it and and it's not without precedent right we got to go back a little bit but uh, jimmy carter faced Kennedy. a primary challenge uh ronald reagan was the primary char challenge yeah i try ago, to right? i try to remind people it's not a regime i mean uh you know and i was supposed to be open we should be open for caucuses anybody who wants to do this ought to ought to be here i think it's important for republicans to have a debate about the future of their party while the democrats are crawling all over the state. So I think it actually would be good. Do you think the party will essentially allow a true a true caucus contest here? They will, in words, allow it, and then do everything they can to scuttle it. And what, what should we watch? Uh, How watch, do they do that? Watch what Jeff Kaufman does, not what he says. All right, he's the state party chair. Tom, on your side, we're getting more and more. We just had Kamala Harris here on Monday night for the CNN town hall. Marianne Williamson is just one of five, I think, Democrats who are in town this week, uh, maybe six, actually. Uh, what do we expect on your side for the next year? Well, I put a list together of 30 candidates, and I'm serious, mm -hmm. and I can share it with you, and I don't think that's surprising to you. Here's the, here's the key to winning the caucuses. 
first of all, you got to have a candidate that engenders some support. You know, somebody who has some excitement on the Democratic side. Two, you have to have a statewide organization that it does the grassroots stuff. And third, you have to have enough money to run it if you want to compete here. And so the candidate that will emerge, in, I predict, a year from now will be the person who has got all three of those. Now, that's not surprising. I know that's not surprising. But I don't think it makes any difference that the staff have experience here. I think they have to actually love the candidate. And I still think that's critical. But it does take money, right? So six months from now, that's when we will get a sense of, in the next three to six months, who can raise some money, right? So once we move our way, let's say, to the fall, if you're not raising money, though, this is going to start to wean this, some of these folks out, right? Exactly. It'll start to wean it out. And you do need money, but you don't need a lot of money to compete in Iowa, which is great. Still that, that, that mm -hmm. standpoint there. My prediction is that with the number of candidates we have running, the winner could very well be somebody in the high teens. So that should be really attractive to people who are challengers because you realize you can come out here and you don't necessarily have to get to, to, to think that Biden's going to get half the votes because he's not going to if he runs or somebody of and that And you nature. think Joe Biden will run for president? Hasn't announced yet. I think he'll run. But you think he'll run? I don't give think he'll pass it up. Give us maybe three, four names you think who could do especially strong here on your side. I think part of it is they still have to uh, engender a little bit of excitement on that side. Uh, I think Cory Brooker has that comparison. Uh, from capacity. New Jersey? Yeah. Harrison or Harris from does. California? Yeah. Okay. Both of them, I think, are. are they got to work on their names, apparently. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, because I don't have much name. They don't have the name ID with me, but they do lack name ID here in the state of Iowa. Surprisingly enough, Booker's been around long enough that I think he has a little bit more. But I think they'll be looking for that new type of person coming along who can engender some excitement. And, and I, so there are others that I think are, are capable of doing that. But I think the key to, to beating Trump is still going to be somebody who can come in and, like Jimmy Carter did in kind of setting himself aside from Nixon, he, he has to be the anti-whatever that was before. And Carter says, I, I will never lie to you. I think the next candidate has to say, I'm going to be a, an adult about being president of the United States. All right, Doug, wrap us up. Looking at the Democrats from the Republican side, how do you view this playing out? Uh, well, I, first of all, I was going to have an incredible importance because as the winnowing feature of the caucuses, it's going to have huge impact. Uh, I think the Democrats are, have, as a, are going to have to decide if they want the new, new thing or if they want somebody who can win. Uh, I actually think the Democrats will probably want the new, new thing. And so I, I think somebody like Harris has a real shot at being the, the Democratic nominee. All right, Doug and Tom, thank you much. One year to go from Sunday.